We're grateful for what God has done. Amen. You know, when we stop and think about all the, the good things that have come into our life. I mean, think about how we've been blessed and how, how wonderful God has been to us and how grateful we should be for, and, and being grateful, it's like I said, how grateful we should be. It's almost like you better be grateful. <laughs> well, actually, we need to kind of look at things in a way that tells us, oh, I'm grateful for this, I'm grateful for this, and set, set that in motion of our understanding of God's goodness and how well he has been taking care of us. Well, this morning, the message that I have is under my feet. Now, it doesn't sound like too, uh, too uh, an exhausting of a sermon, but we have scripture that can verify that. And we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, I like the one translation, those who have fallen asleep in the sleep of death. Hmm. You know, I often say in this verse or reading it that whenever we talk to children about someone dying, we should never say, say they fell asleep. You know, why? Because the kids are going to be afraid. You go to bed and go to sleep. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll never wake up. Well, that's not the type of sleep that's mentioned here. And um, the sleep here is that which is the sleep of death, meaning the... And, and the reason sleep is used is sleep, it means that which is to be awakened from, okay? So whenever we're talking about death, we're talking about it isn't something that is final. We think of it as final, you know, people are placed in a casket and laid in the ground. Wow, that's final. No. <laughs> the, the sleep, uh, uh, the, uh, the death is something to be awakened from. And so it isn't um, an eternal death. That's something, eternal, that's something entirely different. But in this case, he's saying that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in the sleep of death. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be, all will be made alive. But each in turn... Christ, the first fruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominions, all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, but everything under Christ. When he has done this, the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Well, that last section, it's like, what's he saying? Well, <laughs> Paul is uh, answering the question before it happens. Jesus is going to have everything under his feet. Does that mean that he is greater than God and God is under his foot? You know, no. He just adds that last section there to verify that that's not what is implied here. Um, so everything under his feet. So it is clear that the power of and authority of Jesus Christ is that everything is conquered, everything is under his foot. Now, the first thing that we have to establish for us, for our life, for who we are as a person is... 
Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead. Now, we have to satisfy that, whatever it may be, and um, we, we have to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the essential part of, of the scriptures. And it is, it is this understanding of the death of Christ and his resurrection that gives meaning to everything else that is written in the, in the scriptures. You see, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul has an interesting slant on it in verse 19, which is not in our text. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied or most miserable. So if we have a hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there really isn't a resurrection, Paul says, we need to be pitied. <laughs> you know, we need to be pitied, you know, being able to be fooled like this. Well, if we look at the resurrection and the events, not only of the time in which Christ rose from the dead, but of his followers. Now, these were not, uh, what do I say, these, these disciples and they were not uh, world changers. <laughs> and they were not people who were going to go out and have themselves sacrificed for a myth. You know, because they all die but one, uh, John, from, from martyrdom. And even Paul, who comes along later, and he meets Christ on the road to Damascus. So to all of them, Jesus and the resurrection is a reality that they are willing to die for. And they are willing to sacrifice everything in their lives to for the cause of Jesus Christ to let the knowledge of God be given to the the world around them and for us even as we study the scriptures so we have to have that understanding that solid foundation that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead period <laughs> now there's no doubt there's no second guess now Another translation, Philip's translation has of those verses. He says, Now if the rising of Christ from the dead is the very heart of our message, how can some of you deny that there is any resurrection? Okay, so Paul again um, is writing here and he's, he's uh, getting them to, you know, understand or puts the challenge there before them. How can any of you be in the church as seeming believers in Jesus Christ and say there is no resurrection. It's just unfathomable. For if there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead, then Christ was never raised. So the argument, you know, he's going back and forth here. Now, if there is no resurrection, then Christ is still dead. And if Christ is not raised, then neither our preaching nor our faith has any meaning at all. Furthermore, it would mean that we are lying in our witness for God. For we have given our solemn testimony that he did raise up Christ. And that is utterly false if it should be true that the dead do not, in fact, rise again. So, you know, he's letting everybody know, you know, my life-changing experience on the road to Damascus is, is a, a, a fallacy. It's... It's a lie if, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead. And look what Paul gave up, Saul of Tarsus gave up to become this disciple of Jesus. I mean, you know, he was the elite of his society and the elite of the elite organization. And, you know, he, he had all that going for him and he just dropped it. 
for the knowledge of Christ risen from the dead. For if the dead did not rise, neither did Christ. Christ did not rise, your faith is futile. Sins have never been forgiven. Think about this, that you are still, <laughs> you're still caught in your sins and they're never going to go away. Moreover, those who have died believing in Christ, you're never going to see them again. And truly, if our hope in Christ were limited to this life only, of all mankind, we are the most miserable or the most to be pitied that we would make up such a story. So, whenever we start seeing the reality of what happened in, in the writings to the church, we find that the resurrection is the foundational principle of the gospel. You see, it is the, the gospel, the gospel is given its meaning and purpose when Jesus is risen from the dead. You know, the virgin birth. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, it means nothing. The uh, John the Baptist and being baptized in the river and the voice from heaven, it means nothing if Jesus isn't risen from the dead. All of the miracles that he did, all the things that he did to you know, raise the dead and walk on water and his teachings, they're all of none effect if he is not risen from the dead. His death on the cross is a, is a sacrifice for humankind, for the sins of the world. There are no effect if he isn't risen from the dead. So you see, the fact of the resurrection puts all of this in perspective for us that we have to, you know, if I ask each of us, I say, okay, how many believe in a resurrection? Hopefully all of us would say, yeah, yeah, we, we got that one down. Well, solidifying that in our life is a continual process of knowing, yes, Jesus is risen from the dead. Why? Because he is risen, he is with us, he is Lord, and he is putting all of his enemies under his feet. Hmm. Verse 21 to 23, and again, this is in the Phillips translation. But the glorious fact is that Christ did rise from the dead. He has become the first fruits. He is the very first to rise of all who sleep the sleep of death. As death entered the world through a man as rising from the dead, come to us through a man as members of a sinful race of all men die. As members of Christ, of God, all men shall be raised to life. Each in their proper order, Christ the first. See, it's the fundamental part of who we are. Then, not until then, and not until then, authority and power hands over the kingdom of God to the Father. Christ reigns. Christ's reign will and must continue until every enemy has been conquered. The last enemy to be conquered is death. So as we start putting these things together in this verse, and these, these verses, we're seeing the importance of how the resurrection is presented by Paul to the, the different churches, and how this is presented at Corinth, and how that God has to be understood, and Jesus Christ has to be understood as the Lord and Savior who rose from the dead. He has put everything under his feet. Everything. <laughs> See, there's this uh, story, this little boy. He overheard some people, another boy, kind of talking back to their, 
to his mother, father, whatever. He's saying, and he talks to his friend. He says, you can't talk back to them. And he says, why? He says, well, in heaven, one guy talked back, and you know where he's at. <laughs> so, so whenever we start putting per- things in perspective, you know, <laughs> I can imagine. I don't know what the parents told the little boy about talking back, but he was, he was certain he wasn't going to do that because he didn't want to go down there, you know. So whenever we see, we see what things mean to us whenever we believe and the way we perceive them. Last week we, we spoke about, um, sure, it just went out of my head. Uh, we, we spoke about belief and um, self-esteem, no, IQ and... and uh, an attitude. I, IQ and attitude. And attitude, the thing about attitude is we have to, we have a part of our attitude that is built on belief. And so our belief system sets things up in our life more than we can, more than we recognize, more than we know. Because if we believe a certain thing, even if it's wrong, we're still going to act upon it. If we believe that we're no good and we'll never be any good, that's how we're going to perceive ourselves. If we believe that we can't be any better than what we are, that God, that God hasn't been risen, God has not raised Christ from the dead, then you see how that all puts things in perspective? And Paul is telling us that this foundational principle of understanding the resurrection Understanding how much it is a part of who we are and what we believe. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, he is not going to be able to participate with us in heaven taking the cup. I will do this again with you in my Father's kingdom. You see how, and and again, forming that foundational stance that we have about the resurrection is so important. For God has put everything under his feet. So our relationship with Christ brings us to the understanding of who Christ is and who we are. Who Christ is, who we are in Christ. And we find that we are forgiven, we are redeemed, We have new life. We have a plan. God has a plan and a purpose for our life. We have the strength of God becomes our strength. But you know what happens? At times, we have all these things going on, but at times, we go walking back the trails of life. (laughs) And when people start walking back the trails of life, they start seeing the wrongs that have done, the attitudes, the people, the things that have gone, that made decisions and have gone the wrong way, and we start living regretfully about what's going on, and we regret this and regret that. Well, I am here to tell you today, do not waste your time (laughs) in regrets. (laughs) Do not waste your time regretting the past. The opportunities, these opportunities are gone. The sins have been committed. The relationships have been destroyed. Whatever it was, they are gone. They are water under the bridge. That ship has sailed. That barge has sunk. That memory chip has been 
crashed. <laughs> it's no longer there. Jesus doesn't remember it, so why should you? And so get off of the boat before it sinks, because it will sink. Regret is a waste of time. And you know what will happen if we spend time regretting? Two or three years from now, we'll look back at this time and, and regret us spending times regretting. What's that? Compound regret. <laughs> you know? So looking at this, regret then becomes a waste of time. The only benefit it would have, if it teaches us something, then it gives us wisdom, gives us understanding that we learn from our mistakes, or it can fuel our resolve to be better and, and recognize the temptations when they come again. You know, sometimes our decisions or things that have gone wrong can be turned into very profitable or very encouraging things, like MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. That was created because of, uh, with a mother whose son was killed by a drunk driver, so she created this organization that has uh, had, had far-reaching effects, you know, throughout our nation and perhaps the world in, you know, getting people off the road drunk. So we find how that she was able to take this negative situation and turn it around to something positive. Rather than living with regrets, she found a way to, to make a difference in her life and the lives of those around them. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, It is the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. Hmm. Now, think about this. You know, it's like if we go down the regretful road, um, <laughs> if you're driving down the road and you see the road regret, don't turn. <laughs> Your GPS is taking you the wrong direction. Hit the recalculate button. <laughs> My future is not down that road. So the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, that if we, if we remember those things that, gone, that, have, that are the regrets, we must recognize, wow, I'm sure grateful that God didn't consume me. <laughs> that he doesn't burn us up with fire and all that kind of stuff. He, that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. The only reason we're still alive and the only reason that people are, can seemingly get away with their evil deeds is that compassion of God has, doesn't fail. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. So rather than going back wherever to regret, get up each day with every morning with an understanding as great as God's faithfulness to me every morning, morning by morning, his mercies, you know, are renewed. That we, that he is, you know, he's promised not to burn us up today. <laughs> He'll never burn us up. So the problem is not with God because we find that his mercifuls, his compassion fails not. Another translation says never fails or mercies never come to an end. So we find that this ongoing revelation of God is that his mercies continue to grow. All, why? He's risen from the dead. He has paid the price of sin. He, has know, he knows what it's like to be like us, and he wants us as part of his kingdom, part of his children. So the problem with us is 
how we see ourselves and how we see our relationship with Christ. His mercy is renewed every morning. So what are the three things? I've got an outline. What are the three things <laughs> that uh, need to be done with regrets? First of all, if you recall your regrets, do something positive. Stop and recall, consider the action, the thoughts, the emotions that drove you to do what you did. Don't think about what you did. Think about what caused it. I always remember um, the, the, the situation, well, the, the, well, I can't get my child to stop slamming the door. Okay, well, what happens before they get angry? <laughs> what happens before they stand up and go out the door and slam the door? See, we want to we stop the action. Don't slam the door. Well, why don't we go back a little further and find out what it is that set the problem in motion. And so in our lives, we need to look at ourselves and we need to do an honest inventory. It's, and you know, um, I always say, I remember whenever I was, did a lot of counseling, that people would outline, you know, I'd always say, well, give me a little bit of history. People would lie I mean, they were just out now. You know, then, it's, well, it isn't that they lied. They had selective memories. You know, and sometimes they didn't remember. You know, or sometimes the events that they talked about seemingly meant nothing to them, but everything, everything rose and fall on that event. And being able to understand that event and understand those places where, that are of extreme importance, but yet are just kind of blown over, that's why it's hard for us to recall correctly. It's, a, it's important that whenever we remember, we're, we're not like Adam. It's not my fault, God. It's that woman you gave me. <laughs> and Eve, what'd she say? God, it's not my fault. It's that serpent you created. <laughs> See, often whenever we remember, we're like the bull or the matador. We got the right answer coming at us, but we step aside. It's not my fault. <laughs> it's a dumb bull just charging, you know? So, don't hide in the bushes. <laughs> and like David, whenever he found out that he had sinned, he says, I am guilty before God. So we remember and we confront the guilt. Own the guilt. That we don't try to bypass it, throw it away, but we don't, you know, we don't do this, well, I'm always guilty, you know, I'm all, no, no, that's not the right plan either. So recall, know the truth, do it correctly, insightfully, and look at the, not the slamming of the door, but what happened prior to it. Second is repent. <laughs> Godly sorrow worketh repentance. I can see, this is 2 Corinthians 7.10, I can see that the letter did upset you, he's writing to the church at Corinth, though only for a time, and now I am glad I sent it, not because I want to hurt you, but because it made you grieve for things that were wrong. The sorrow which God uses means changed heart that leads to salvation. One version says it's godly sorrow. The sorrow that God uses is that we are sorry that we hurt God. When David sinned with Bathsheba and he, he it's found out, he says, I've sinned against you only. You only, God, have I sinned against. 
because David was like, he, that was the godly sorrow that he felt, that he had hurt God. Sin hurts God. God is, he is wounded. He is wounded for our transgressions. You see, when we sin, it, create, it, it wounds God, and not only wounds us, but it wounds God, and we are sorry for the things that we have, we, we've done to hurt God, the one who loves us. See, that's how we know that the Holy Spirit and God, you know, the person, the person of the Godhead, he can be grieved, he can be resisted. He, you know, godly sorrow that we know that we have hurt the heart of God. So our desire is to please God. And it's, it's not a harsh taskmaster. You know, we, in the Sunday school lesson, it says we were peculiar people. <laughs> it doesn't mean odd. <laughs> it means bondservant, that we are a servant. We belong to God. And so as a servant of God, the devil doesn't have any claims over us because he, he can't touch it. Hey, Jesus, he's trying to take me away from you. <laughs> Under his foot. Yeah, he just stomps on him. Yeah. Yes, amen. Thank you very much. So, <laughs> so sin hurts God. He is wounded. He is wounded for our transgression. Seeing the wound that we caused God should pierce our heart, just as the spear pierced the heart of Jesus. That knowledge and sorrow leads to our repentance and a sorrowful spirit, not one that we retain for the rest of our life, but for that moment of, of, of compassion, that moment of forgiveness, that moment of crying upon God. So sin hurts God, sin hurts us, and sin, hurt, sin hurts others. You know, I've often spoken about how important it is for us being able to see ourselves as God sees us. Well, uh, I, I, we also need to see what sin is and how God sees sin. Now, we, talk also, we spoke also in our Sunday school lesson about um, holiness. Now, holiness means separation. <laughs> holiness means, you know, like a, a, a person can be holy because they are separated to God. A building can be holy. The temple, the church, separated for God. The a day, a year, the 50th anniversary of the year, you know, the year of Jubilee, can be holy. But, you know, so holy is the idea of separation. God is holy because he is separated from all other gods. There is no one like him. So the holiness that we are looking for is not necessarily the halo that we get in the wings. That, you know, we don't get wings in heaven. Angels have wings. We don't need them. Uh, but we don't, we don't, we're not looking for that. We're looking for the holiness, the separation of our life to God where his spirit is in us and we are in him and we are together in this. So we recall, we repent, and we refocus. The central theme of Paul's letter to the Corinthians is the resurrection. That means you can rise again. The resurrection is not only something we rise from the dead when we die, but it also that we are resurrected from the ashes of sin and sorrow and of wrongdoing and, and you know, difficulties, that we can rise again by the Spirit of God. Isaiah 43, 17 and 18, he says, Forget about what happened. 
You know, remember the old, oh, forget about it. <laughs> and Isaiah is saying, forget about what happened. Don't keep going over old history. Kind of sounds like the message today. Be alert and be present. I'm about to do something brand new. You see, the sorrow, the separation, the to God, you know, closeness to God and recognizing is that don't keep going over. Forget about it. Don't go over the old history. Why? Because God has said we go through this and we confess and we have, God has a new plan. He has something new that he is doing. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm doing it. I'm making a new road. <laughs> you know, on our GPS system that we have, um, the one I used to have, you know, always used to tell me recalculating, recalculating, and then the lady would tell me, yeah, there is a better way, you know, when I wouldn't go the right way. And uh, it's funny. We got this new GPS thing for our, our camper, you know, and it tried to take us Carpenter Park Road. You know, it's like that doesn't, you know, I put in the dimensions of the and length and all that, and it tries to take us down Carpenter Park Road, which is hardly wide enough for one car, you know, and it has switchbacks and all that, and you have no idea how you'd be able to make it. And so sometimes our GPS systems aren't right. <laughs> They're not tied into what, what's, what the vehicle is. Well, we know that God's tie in his direction for us is centered on who we are. Scripture says, I have given you power to tread on all the power of the enemy. Tread, trample, stomp. I would do the stomp, but I can't. I can, yes I can. <laughs> we can do the stomp. We can step out and trample all that is down, you know, all that is wicked, the enemy of our soul. It's like Jesus has stepped on the neck of the enemy. And you know when he steps on the neck of the enemy, there's nothing left. <laughs> it's surrender time or die, which the devil, <laughs> down there, that guy down there, you know, he, he, spoke, you know, he spoke against Jesus and he got down there. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he descended into hell and he took captivity captive. He stepped on the neck <laughs> of, of evil. He destroyed it. His resurrection means he has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. In, in him is all power. So we find that in the resurrection, in the resurrection, we have the same power. Godly sorrow is important. Let it go. That's why you have it. Start putting obstacles and difficulties under your feet. <laughs> Don't carry them on your back. Put them under your feet. Crush it. Step on it. Stomp it. It's a new day with new opportunities. God has done it all. And just as we are one with Christ in the resurrection, we are one with Christ in his victory. We are one with him in all that he says and, and does and the will that he has for our life. So now with godly sorrow, repentance, and mercy, and forgiveness, and the resurrection power that belongs and lives and resides within each of us, 
Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents. I always like this, this scripture because always Jesus is taking us from what we know to what we don't know. He says, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, there are people that stop at that point, and they, they handle snakes and stuff in their churches and all that kind of stuff. Okay, more power to them. But Jesus says you have power to do that. And over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Just as if you were handling snakes and scorpions, and, you know, and they're very deadly, that that same power is given to you that nothing by any means, meaning the enemy of our soul, shall ever be able to hurt you. Hmm. The power of the enemy, the influence of people, the influence of evil, nothing shall by any means hurt you. See, our godly sorrow, we recognize what hurt the heart of God. Now God is saying to us, because you recognize that and repented, I, I, I know your sorrow. I know what hurts your heart. And nothing by any means can hurt you. Christ is risen. His power has no limit. Evil is under his feet. Evil is under my feet. <laughs> so we can all stand up and jump up and down. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. And it's like, and, and like the great race car driver said, step on it. <laughs> step on it. Step on evil under my feet. Don't allow it to be part of who you are. Don't allow regrets, you know, let him go. Step on him because all the power of the enemy has been defeated. Amen? Jesus, we thank you that you are the sacrifice. You are the, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Your truth, O oh God, resides in our hearts, and you have done all things to good. You're working all things together for good in our life. So we thank you that we can step on the powers of evil because they are under your feet. They are now under ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the watchword is, step on it. <laughs>